West Coast, the East Coast, and deep in the heart of Texas, it's the Geek at Arms podcast with Brian, Mike, and James. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the 20th episode of the Geek at Arms podcast, a podcast about three guys who share a lot of geeky hobbies and also a love for the Lord our God. I'm James, and hanging out with me, as always, are my buds, Mike and Brian. Mike, how are you today, my friend? Doing pretty okay. Glad to hear it. Brian, you doing good? I am also well. Glad to hear it. You know, I think this is the first time in a while that all of us have answered that life is good, we're doing okay, and that means bad news is just around the corner. Aw. I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) Oh, good. So, let's get the ball rolling, and let's jump right into Geek Out. Which of you fine gentlemen wants to go first? That's my way of passing the buck. Uh, if I have a vote, I say Brian goes first. All and, right. Brian and, will go first. Then. And Brian shall go first. Well, uh, I have been making the rounds of several other podcasts lately. I was on Retro Rewind uh, this past Friday talking about Cowboy Bebop, as I mentioned last week. Or not last week, last month, last something or other. Side note, Joy and I discovered that saying Retro Rewind and Cowboy Bebop, those four words together at the same time, it's really, really, it's really hard to do <laughs> slow or fast. Red leather, oh. yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. I actually had to do I, that a few times uh, Aluminum, before. linoleum, aluminum. Wait, guys, I'm, I'm hearing something on the line. Is that... Oh, wait, no, that's just jealous resentment that I hear on my end. Uh, you go on. <laughs> wow, I, I thought I heard that high-powered hiss, but I thought it was a technical problem. <laughs> no, 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 that's, that's just my emotional state. We're good. Well, let's see if we can uh, turn up the volume on that, because next week I'm going to be on MinMax. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm getting lots of feedback here. Um, yeah, hold on, I need to adjust these levels. Uh, listeners, if you heard at some point in the, in your past week a pop from the distance, uh, that was the sound of Mike's brain just going, just gone. <laughs> and and you're only finding out the reason why right now as this podcast was put together and posted. Well, it's funny because Mike operates the at Arms Geek Twitter feed, a Twitter thingy profile, whatever those you call those things. And yet I'm the one who keeps getting invited to uh, other podcasts. I'm not entirely sure why. <laughs> well, I know why I'm on the mid-max side. It's because I mentioned being a visual effects artist, and they all said, ooh, we want to interview you. Uh, okay. I mean, that's fair. As soon as I found out that you were a visual effects artist, I feel like that's all I do. So, I mean, I get it. <laughs> I get it. And I work in what a lot of people consider a dying medium in radio. So, you know, <laughs> there you go. Right, you know, if this was the 1930s, you'd be the popular one. Let's let's admit it. The last update to the book that I work out of was in like around 90 AD, and <laughs> you know we've not we've not come out with new material since. So, well, you know, you just got to uh, work harder. I'm sure things will pick up eventually, right? Uh, you know what? Yeah, let's just write a new New Testament, and then we'll we'll have all the updates that we want to. It'll be okay. Or we can just move forward into the Doctor Who universe, and we can have the new, 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 new testament. We killed James. Another thing on that joke just gave me asthma. Oh man, I I read something on Twitter the other day. <laughs> somebody posted a image of their uh, their text messages and said that somehow their speech to text got activated while they were playing the trombone. 
and it just said, wow, 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 wow. And I laughed so hard, I literally almost blacked out. It was like, I couldn't see. I was laughing so hard. I used to play the trombone. Well, at least you know that that piece of software is working right. Right. But that actually wasn't what I was going to say when I said another weird thing on Twitter. Deborah Beale followed me. And if you're not familiar with her, she is uh, Tad Williams' wife and co-author of uh, The Dragons of Ordinary Farm. Oh. Wait, that That's backwards. I follow the author. The authors don't follow me. Right. <laughs> Suddenly he begins furiously looking through his feed like, what did I do? What did I say? What What caused this? Well, I know what I what I what caused it. I had actually uh, recommended Dragons of Ordinary Farm on somebody else's post. Ah, and I guess maybe not enough people do that, and she follows all of them. I don't know. <laughs> uh, what else is going I mean, on I, with me? I like. Well, I follow you for the witty banter, but you know that's just me. <laughs> well, we're personally acquainted. Another thing that's been I've been geeking out to is uh, somebody at work asked me. Uh, if I knew anything about quaternions, and this is something that I've been, since neither of you probably have ever heard that term, that's a uh, particular kind of math that involves rotations in three dimensions. Uh, and it's Ooh. something that I've been wanting to look into for a long time, but every time I, I tried, I hit this wall and it's like, I do not understand this and I give up. But since there was somebody actually kind of relying on me, well, not relying on me necessarily, but somebody that ideas could bounce back and forth from... Uh, I finally, finally buckled down, and I understand quaternions now, kind of. So, Can you give us me. a quick pricey then? Because, I mean, I know nothing about quaternions, and it seems like an awesome opportunity to learn something. Okay, well, uh, to introduce the problem with the way we do rotations most of the time with uh, what they call Euler angles uh, is you've got three axes, X, Y, and Z, and you can rotate all of them independently. But when you do so, their relationship, their angular relationship to one another changes. And if you rotate, for instance, X and Z in such a way that they're pointed in the same direction, you get a, a uh, condition known as gimbal lock. And what that means is suddenly you've lost one of those, uh, those axes and you get an infinite number of solutions for the equation. Um, the quaternion is based on complex numbers, which there's a way in which you can think of complex numbers where it's a rotation away from the real number line. And so if you do this rotation in three dimensions with the complex numbers, theoretically, you could get a different way of describing rotations. The trouble is that it doesn't work with only three numbers for some reason. You have to have a fourth number. And that's the quad in quaternion. And it's the click in my head came when uh, this woman that I was talking to pointed out Okay, it's, it's a vector. The three, first three numbers describe a vector in space. And then the fourth number is rotation around that vector. So you aim it, and then you rotate it. It's like, oh, oh now it makes sense. Because I kept trying to think it was like three complex numbers, and I wound up with six dimensions, and my brain exploded. Yeah, six-dimensional travel is not for us. Le leave that to higher species. Mm -hmm. And once again, we've circled back to Doctor Who. Right. <laughs> so, that's what I've been geeking out about. How about you guys? Not a lot. 
has been happening for me this past month. It's been a very, it's been less of a geek out month and more like a real life month. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife got to do something fun. She got sent to Washington, D.C. on a business trip. And even though it was mostly for like being at a conference, she did get to see some cool sites, some cool history. And I had hoped that I would have been able to go with her because we would have spent a couple of days, you know, at least one or two days sightseeing. But then while she was at conference, I basically would have lived at the Smithsonian. Yeah. <laughs> Forward my mail. I'm not even going to be at the hotel. I'm sleeping here. I went to Washington, D.C. once, and there was an event on the on the National Mall, and it got just like massive torrents of rain. And we all took shelter under, you know, in whatever porticos we could find. And it wasn't until like the rain was stopping and they're going to start the event again that I realized I had been sitting on the steps of the freaking Smithsonian for an hour and didn't go inside. <laughs> Man. <laughs> I felt so this... stupid. <laughs> I've had this weird thing for as many times as I've been to Washington, D.C., something has always prevented me from actually doing much of anything in the Smithsonian. So it's I, I get you. I mean, I've I think I've seen the entrance lobby and just a little bit of it. But man, what I love like three or four days just to climb all over that place. Agreed. Mm-hmm. You know, the day will come that all three of us will one day actually be able to get there. And it will somehow coincide on the exact same day. We'll see each other on the steps of one of the buildings. We'll catch up. We'll smile. We'll hug. We'll say, what are the odds? And we'll spend so long talking about what the odds are and how this could have happened and how awesome it was that we'll use up all of our time and we'll actually have to leave before we actually get into the building. See, I I thought that story was going to end with cyber Nazis. See, I thought it was going to end with the universe collapsing in on itself. So... (laughs) Well, it's Washington, D.C., and all three of us are there, so cyber Nazis are a given. <laughs> okay, I think I think that the next the next homebrew adventure of Let's Kill Hitler is going to involve defending Washington, D.C. from the cyber Nazis. <laughs> when your players start wondering why your next campaign is so awesome, you can tell them to thank us. That's right. But moving past things that I wish I could be geeking out about, like I said, it's been a busy month. Uh, a couple things that I, I, I have been doing, I talked about last time, I've been reading the book Star Wars from a Certain Point of View by every other author on the shelf, and I'm about three quarters of the way through. I um, haven't had a lot of time for reading lately, but it's been really enjoyable. Well, some parts have been really enjoyable, some parts have been good, some have been, mm, that entire page should have been a paragraph. <laughs> You know how you've ever been to a meeting and you're thinking that this should have been an email? Every time <laughs> yes. when I was an adult. All, every yeah. meeting. Yes. Well, this was the literary equivalent. This entire page and more should have been a paragraph. Anyone, Star Wars by Nathaniel Hawthorne. Yes. Or Robert Jordan. <laughs> there were entire you, chapters for some books in the middle that should have been paragraphs. Or just, you know, gone. Um, didn't exist. James, have you ever read the Iliad? <sighs> no. You no, don't. I've not. You don't need to read. Yeah, you don't need to read that book. No. <laughs> Fair enough. But it's been really enjoyable. It's told in canon Star Wars stories for various characters who have gotten very little screen time in the movies. One is told from the band members who are playing in the cantina in Mos Eisley. Another story is just a very short one, just like three or four pages long, from Aunt Beru's perspective. Hmm. 
Um, How the milk was bluer on the other side. Uh, actually, I think that was the title. <laughs> no. It wasn't, but that would have been awesome. That's a missed opportunity in my book. Uh, actually, it was a very touching and sweet chapter. This woman talking about how trying to raise this young boy who she saw as the sweetest, most wonderful kid in the entire world, but she knew that the universe would hate or fear him and how uh, even her own husband looks at him and sees the worst parts of his father while she sees nothing but the best. That's kind of cool. Yeah. There was also a chapter that kind of went a little long, in my opinion, that told a story from the perspective of the trash compactor monster from A New Hope. <laughs> I, I kid I you not. I think I'd read about that. Yeah. yeah. We've got a story from, from Yoda, one from Obi-Wan Kenobi's Force Ghost, which was very touching. And, uh, I'm assuming there, he dictated that. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My, Although, my, he, my, my Time in Blue by Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh, my gosh. I just looked something up. The, the Dianoga perspective from a certain point of view yeah. is by Nettie Akorafor, who... Oh, really? I, yeah, who I think very highly of. It had its good moments. She's saying that the Dianoga was a human-level intelligent creature and also had the Force. I'm like, come on. That's yeah, they just never made it out of that compactor. Yeah. <laughs> Was it that the reason that she let Luke go was that she sensed that he was like her and that he had a destiny and hers was to end there. And not because somebody had activated the compactor? Yes. (laughs) That's an interesting choice. Yeah. That's an interesting choice. That's a good way of putting it. Dianoga sounds like it should be like a musical scale. Either that or a drink at a really pretentious bar. (laughs) I'll take a Manhattan on the rocks, not too sweet, and a Dianoga for my wife. (laughs) And there's more on the way, but I'm I'm trying to get through this book as quickly as I can because I just recently purchased another book, J.R.R. Tolkien, A Biography by Humphrey Carpenter. Hmm. And I picked that one up because of the new Tolkien movie, which just came out this past month. I would like to go see it. I don't know if I'll get a chance to while it's in theaters, but I was listening to one of the latest podcasts from the guys at the Prancing Pony podcast. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to listen to them yet. I think I've read that one. The Humphrey Carpenter book? Yeah. I'm looking forward to it because I listened to their review of the Tolkien movie. And they said that it had its good moments, its bad moments, but that they're hoping that it leads people to the books about Mm. Tolkien's life. And then they started listing some off. And so I picked one. I found it on Amazon, bought it, and now I'm really looking forward to reading it. Yep, that's definitely the one I read. It's good. I enjoyed it. I'm glad to hear it. You know, it's funny that you guys mentioned that, because I've got something to talk about during my geek out. (laughs) Well, then I will get through mine. The last thing that I'm geeking out about is something that has not happened yet. Very soon, I will be going to see the brand new Godzilla movie. Ah. Oh, no way. Now that we've got this you know, silly Avengers nonsense done and out of the way, <laughs> we can begin focusing on the movie that really matters this year. And uh, I've been looking. I love the one that they came out with just a few years ago. The brand new reimaging, I think it is really good. I grew up with the old school Toho movies. Yeah. Godzilla, all the monsters were in the rubber suits. Godzilla fights them, gets beaten at first, but then comes back stronger than ever. And one nuclear blast later, he wins, goes back into the ocean. I had on VHS Godzilla versus King Kong, Godzilla versus Megalon, Godzilla versus Gigon, 
and more. I'm thinking, I gotta like pull these out, or I've gotta order these new because I don't have a VHS player anymore, and I think these <laughs> would be fun to show my kids. And oh, uh, side note, the funniest episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000 I ever saw was where they watched Godzilla versus Megalon. I don't think I've seen that I'll have to check that one out. It's impossible to find on DVD. I found a place where I could stream it online for free. It's some of their funniest work ever. I'll shoot you guys a link. Great. Yeah, because the licensing for those got really complicated once MST3K got complicated. Yes, it did. I'm sure, yeah. My friend, uh, who I've talked about on this podcast before, Michael, a.k.a. Godwin, also a humongous Godzilla fan, he is coming up from San Antonio this Friday, and Saturday has been designated Godzilla-thon. <laughs> My wife and kids are going to—actually, we have like a family event that day. They're going to that. He's going to be bringing a stack of Godzilla movies with him for us to watch. Will we get through even one of them, two of them? Nah, don't care. That's all right. You know but, how they end anyway, right? And, and exactly. I know how they all end anyway. But I'm really looking forward to us going to see Godzilla King of Monsters. That is going to be my highlight of the week, month, who knows, maybe even year. And I say that even after Avengers Endgame. Oh, speaking of Godwin, uh, he listened to our last podcast, and he loved our conversation about Seven Voyage of Sinbad. Always great to hear feedback. And he said he enjoyed our conversation so much he kept trying to like join in on the conversation. <laughs> I do that with Min Max all the time. Oh, it just yeah. feels like they're just sitting there in the room with you. And it's just like, oh man, I wish I could just talk back to them because it's so conversational. Well, and well, yeah, next I week mean, I'll be able to. <laughs> exactly my point. Mm-hmm. He said he squeed when we gave him uh, <laughs> credit in the podcast. So that's it for me for geek out. Mike, take it away. My friend. Well, speaking of going to see Avengers Endgame, um, I had a birthday just recently, and my wife asked, what do I want? And I said, a sitter, a movie, and some time at a table. And like this has been such a crazy month. I want something low-key, and I want it specifically with you. Um, and she super delivered. So we were looking at what films we could go to see, and we saw that Avengers Endgame was right there. And we looked at its start time and its end time and realized we would never get our children to a birthday party if we saw that movie. So we saw that it would be so we saw that Tolkien was playing, and we're like, you know, yeah, yeah, that is exactly what we want to do. And I have to say that this was a really good date movie for us uh, because it prompted fair amounts of discussion. I would say that my overall review is that it is by far the single okayest movie I've seen this year. (laughs) Man, that seems to be the general sentiment about this movie. Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, it's not going to make you, you know, laugh, cry, and rend your clothes wishing that you were Tolkien or something. The movie is really about him discovering his love and his passion. And that love is multifaceted. You get to see his growing love of philology. You get to see his growing love for the, the, uh, the camaraderie and uh, the fellowship that he has with his friends. That is definitely a love that you see blossom between these people who 
were, at least as depicted in the movie, put together in order to punish each other. But really, there were lifelong bonds that were formed there. And also the love of the person who would be his wife and his passion for language and the imagination that would go on to later inspire The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings, and other things Middle-earth. Uh, the movie focuses on his early life in his his days at the at the boys school and a little bit into his time at Oxford but so basically pretty much his whole pre-world war 1 life and so if you're really looking for what he did with his camaraderie with CS Lewis and you know in that phase of his life then skip it, it that's not what it's about and during the film like you you know that you come into these movies and if you're expecting to see a documentary that shows the true life story of, then the problem isn't with the film. The problem is with you. What you're coming to see is a story that is oriented around this person's life, and they are going to alter certain scenarios in order to tell that story. And as we're watching this movie, and some of it were like, yeah, that could not possibly have happened. That can't be real. So we, I kind of leaned over to, to Kaja and at some point said, yeah, we're we're totally getting two separate biographies of Tolkien, reading them and comparing notes, right? And she's like, oh, yeah, totally, we're doing that. <laughs> so, so that's something that I'm looking forward to And uh, as soon as I finish up my current book, because there were certain things that I thought that can't possibly be true. And we, I'd look a little bit up. I'm like, oh, that actually came from a real event. So that's, that's kind of neat. Um, so I'm I'm really inspired in, as to what biographers have to say about Tolkien while having a good date movie with my wife. I definitely think you should read a, a biography of Lewis and compare it to the movie about Tolkien. I think that I would walk <laughs> away from that book being very disappointed that it was that it, it just didn't seem like the same man. I mean, I don't I don't I don't know where that went. <laughs> But uh, I've also been reading We Free Men, uh, which when you talk to Ashley at the MinMax podcast, tell her I said thanks, because she recommended that to me on uh, on Twitter after I said how much I liked Good Omens. And she's like, well, if you like Terry Pratchett, pick up We Free Men. And I'm like, well, never read Discworld before. Do I, do I, do I need some background? She's like, nah, just start right on in. And I have been thoroughly enjoying just the witty prose that Terry Pratchett has woven into this text. For example, these, uh, so far, I'm not terribly far into it, but a young girl who is, uh, who unsurprisingly turns out to be a, becoming a witch or is a witch, has teamed up with these small people about the size of brownies, but far uglier, far stronger, and uh, far poorer manners. And they start talking about how she definitely knows some magics, like she knows how to write. And they're very <laughs> reluctant to to reveal their names because once you reveal someone's name, you take power over them. And especially if you were to write that name down, that you could do all manner of things like make a summons or a contract or send a tax bill. And, <laughs> so, and the toad leans over and says, you see the swords that they have on their backs. Their blades glow blue when lawyers draw near. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm thoroughly enjoying this book. I tried to pick up Scythe, but I'm kind of at a point right now where I couldn't handle the moral quandaries of who do I kill. Uh, so I had to put that one down for a while and um, 
I know that's just fiction, but it's just hitting me someplace else right now. And so I'm like, you know, this this lighter read is exactly where I need to be after a stressful day at work. I've actually been reading the first book in the Bromeliad trilogy by Pratchett. Interesting, uh, interesting coincidence that we both picked them up kind of at the same time. How are you liking that? Uh, I actually don't care very much for his style. Um, I mean, the the story is is engaging and I'm enjoying it, but I don't think that I would have started reading it if somebody hadn't said, you need to read this book so you can talk to me about it. Makes sense. I must admit, in my life, I've actually read very little Pratchett. And a big part of that is due to that when I'm about to start a series, I really like personal preferences that I start at the beginning. When it comes to Pratchett, I can't figure out where that is. The color of magic. <laughs> ah. Yeah, I'm starting. The, the We Free Men starts at the beginning of like a three-book cycle, and I don't feel like I'm missing anything. I mean, I, I feel like I'm getting acquainted to a fantasy world, and it's a new fantasy world to me. So for me, all bets are off anyway. So it it doesn't feel very jarring. Like I'm getting dropped into like episode 29 of a... 70 book series yeah the nice thing about Discworld is that it's less of a series and more of a collection of several series that just happen to be set in the same world gotcha i feel like history books are like that (laughs) (laughs) do they all kind of center around the mythical town of ankh-more pork i don't think all of them i mean maybe but i've i've not met that town yet i'm only about a third of the way through the book is I that, doubt I'm going to get is, there. Is that even the right town for the right world? Yeah, Ankh-Morpok is a city in the disc world, and I know that's where quite a few of them are set. Okay. My only exposure to Pratchett has been some of the movies that have been made, like these small budget, well, not small budget, but the movies that they have made that you can find on Netflix and Amazon Prime about his mm-hmm. books. Like The Hogfather, there's one about a thief who gets made into the town's postman. And one about a really inept wizard that I can't remember his name. Oh, that's that would be the probably uh, the main character of the Color of Magic, the first book. Okay. And I can't remember his name either now. <laughs> I'm just expecting someone to come up. There are some who call me Tim. <laughs> <laughs> but that pretty much wraps it up for my geek out. Um, I do want to make a suggestion to you, Mike, when you were talking about Tolkien biographies. And yeah, I had a definitely. Cu- couple of suggestions. I was going to throw your way. I've read a lot of glowing reviews online, and these are also ones that are recommended by the guys at the Prancing Pony podcast. There is J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of The Century, by Tom Shippey. Of course, the one that I'm about to start reading, Tolkien's biography by Humphrey Carpenter. He also put together a book called The Letters of J.R.R. Tolkien, and I've heard a lot of great things about a pair of books from John Garth. Uh, He wrote Tolkien and the Great War, The Threshold of Middle-Earth, and Tolkien at Exeter College. Okay. I will probably ask that you... Do you know what? Just send me the link to the Prancing Pony podcast you listen to, and heck, put them in the show notes. I mean... Done and done. Well, that will wrap it up for Geek Out this episode. And Mike, I believe it's you... We're going to head us in to our topic this episode. You want to take it away? Sure. Uh, The idea that I had for this episode was representations of geeks in media. 
because uh, going all the way back as far as I can remember watching television with my with my family and sitcoms, there have been characterizations of geeks that are always kind of funny, some that were relatable and some that just really didn't set well with me. And so I thought that we would talk about uh, geeks being in media where they're done well and not relatable or grating or frustrating uh, when they've been done really well and really relatable and talk about some of the influences as instead of geeks just being the stereotypes that we see in film and on television, uh, talking about where the geeks have inherited the earth and we become the influencers where we see us making our own contributions to mainstream media. So in talking about geeks done well or characterized poorly or as some sort of caricature or stereotype, there is one name that echoes forever in my memory, and that is Steve Urkel. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, did I do that? Just is still, that even still gets repeated by my coworkers even today. So You have very sad coworkers. <laughs> I have pretty awesome coworkers <laughs> that we have this much shared connection of media going back so far. Fair enough. <laughs> Um, you know, what's funny is that when that sort of reference gets dropped, it's always self-deprecating. Mm -hmm. You know, that there's a screw-up and somebody says, oh, did I do that? And it's like, okay, yeah, we know what the callback is to. But that representation of that character is self-deprecating, that the representation is inherently negative. But somebody had to write him as a character and wrote him in... I was called Urkel when I was, you know, when I was young. And I'm like, you can, you can talk about whatever psychodynamic blah, 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 that scarred me. And that's why I don't like the character. That's your prerogative. But I don't think that's the heart of what I don't like about characters of his ilk. Well, back then, at the time of Steve Urkel, that was part of the whole, thank goodness it's Friday, lineup on whatever network that was, NBC, ABC, CBS, I don't remember. But they had like a whole block of shows going on that was specifically for people to stay in on Friday nights. And that's just the latest line of characters that have geeks or nerds, whatever your preferred nomenclature is. Before him was Screech from Saved by the oh, Bell. Yeah, I thought and, about Screech too. And before that, you had the ones that really exposed the geek nerd idea to the mainstream. And that was the, the movie Revenge of the Nerds. Oh, yeah. And the three sequels that came from it. And I have no idea what you're talking about by choice. <laughs> <laughs> I only know about those thanks to IMDb. But starting with that and all the way through to Screech and Steve Urkel and beyond, the geek, the nerd, this character, did I do that? They're not written as characters. They're written as caricatures. They're yeah. made as comical foils. The entire purpose, especially in a in a short 30-minute sitcom, not even 30 minutes, 22-minute sitcom, they're there to get the laughs out of the audience. Yeah. Well, it's a stock and character. I... A, a shortcut to not having to actually develop a personality for somebody. You just stick them in there, everybody understands who it is, and you move on. Like, oh, this is the nerd. Capital T, capital N, the nerd. Mm -hmm. And my, my feeling in terms of how they are written is that, that somebody who is a writer who has no connection 
to the actual geek culture or the nerd culture that they're writing about is they say, okay, I know nerds, they're socially awkward, so I'll just put socially awkward things in their mouth. They're disconnected in this area and this area, so I'll just make them disconnected emotionally or socially from these characters. And I'll just make them really, really smart. So I'll just put something that sounds smart in their mouth, and then we're good. You're absolutely right. So I think it's a little bit more nuanced if we want to talk about, you know, when are geeks and nerds done well? Because the first example that I come up with is the gamer's darkness rising. And if you love role-playing games and you have not seen this film, you really need to sit down and ask yourself a serious question of what am I doing with my life and my time? (laughs) And to make it easy for all of you, because this is how much we care for our listeners, links to these will be provided in the show notes. And it's funny because it is so relatable in my role-playing groups that that we will make references to this film years after we've actually even seen it together. Like there's, you know, there's a, a spout of fire that's coming out and it's something that's timed. We have to make a dex check around it. And somebody is going to say, flaming hand of fiery doom. And off it goes. And all it um, takes to get your friends to join in on it is to go, the shadow? The shadow? The shadow. <laughs> Brian, have you seen this film? I watched the original The Gamers last night. I haven't seen Darkness Rising yet. I'd started it, and then I fell asleep. Oh, man. I'll tell you, The the Gamers was good. Darkness Rising was twice as good. And I, I'll uh, be honest. I had a really hard time pushing through the second scene, the, the second time they sat down at the table, and the one guy was just, I hate him so much that I turned it off. And it's like... Well, I'm not going to watch that right before I go to bed. <laughs> yeah. Just out of curiosity, which dude was it? Yeah. Uh, the one who was insisting on playing an elf monk, even though there were no monks and no elves in the campaign. Oh, yeah. That, oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. I hate him so much. Yeah, you're supposed to hate him. And Yeah. It's, it's like it's, I didn't want to go to bed with that hate, though. So I was like, I'm shutting this down. I'm going to watch some Better Off Ted and then go to sleep. Well, and this, I mean, and this gets into exactly my point about representation of geeks and media. You hate him because he is stubborn. He knows the D&D manual backwards and forwards. He has a lack of social graces that would allow him to navigate the situation at the table and is willing to rules lawyer and bully his way through. And the thing is, we know people like that, or at least we know shades of like he's an exaggeration. Mm-hmm. of gamers that we've had at the table. I mean, Urkel is an exaggeration of the geek caricature. This guy... We've all known a guy like that. He's an amalgamation of various people who do this at the gaming table all put into one with so many of those negative attributes rising to the top. And maybe that's part of what makes this movie enjoyable is that the one thing that makes Cass not a caricature is that he is kind of an exaggerated amalgam of people that we know. Like, we've we've seen somebody who all they do is just study the D&D manual to the point where they've got these, these monster classes just in their head ready to pull at any moment. And then it makes it funny when you see somebody being a harsh... Like, drill master going after him asking him to recite types of ogres and when he gets it wrong he just blogs the guy i mean that's 
that's ridiculous. That's absurd. But it's absurdity that somehow feels familiar. I think the contrast between what you see in, in Darkness Rising and what you see in Steve Urkel or other portrayals of the nerd is that the dead gentlemen are geeks. I mean, mm-hmm. they wrote that out of their own experience. Whereas whoever was writing Urkel was not a nerd. They're like, oh, this is what nerds are like. I'm going to create a character who's like what I think they're like. And it's kind of a sort of a cultural appropriation, not to weaken that term unnecessarily. But when you see something's like, they might have the same behaviors, but this one is authentic because we can we can recognize that oh people have had this experience and understand it and understand what makes this guy who he is versus oh I saw that guy on a street corner and I'm going to make fun of him. It's clear watching this movie that these people are insiders of the geek culture and that these mm-hmm. people have played this game enough that they can create this narrative that exists inside the story and at the table. They're making a movie about geeks, D&D geeks, gamer geeks. They are geeks themselves. In I don't remember if I saw it on YouTube, or I actually have the DVD of the gamers and the gamers, The Darkness Rising. But I think one of their making of segments, one of the crew was talking about, and they made the first one when they were still in college. But he was, right. uh, he was needing to talk to them about a scene that they were shooting. He went to like this dorm's common room where he knew they were all hanging out. And what were they doing? They were playing D&D. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing, is that whenever I poke fun at myself, it's okay. And when I see somebody who is on screen poking fun of themselves, and especially when I relate to that, it makes it just joyous. And I think I've overstated too many times. This is an insider <laughs> making inside jokes that we all get. Yeah, right. Brian, I'm glad that you made the point about geeks making this instead of geeks being written by those who don't know it. That's the exact point I was wanting to make. You made it better. Well done. So, yeah, I guess this yeah, this raises the next. I guess this raises a question that's that's kind of come up pre-show. Is where does the Big Bang Theory fit into all of this? I've had people tell me, "Oh, Mike, you should watch this show. These people are your people. They've, you know, they remind." I've had somebody say, "They remind me so much of you when I watch it," and I then come to the show with that conversation in my mind and then i i see what i see on screen and maybe they're watching later seasons and i started at the beginning and the show hadn't grown its riker's beard yet well i think uh big bang is was kind of playing a long game with its characters uh in seasons one and two they're very much caricatures they're they're very shallow characters but as it goes on, and you start to see those those one-dimensional quirks start to drop away as they become deeper and more complex. Uh, eventually, Howard stops being so much of a lech. Raj learns how to have relationships with women. Leonard comes to an equal partnership in his relationship with Penny. And even Sheldon starts to learn how to accommodate other people's needs. And I think that you have to, to see it over the course of at least you know five or six, maybe even seven years, to really see that that through line in the characters. I don't know how much of it was planned that way, but Chuck Lorre is a very skilled storyteller, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if that was that was what he was shooting for the entire time. But to see that the idea of normalizing geek culture wasn't as much a matter of showing people geek culture and getting people used to it as it was showing them that these are real people, and as time goes on, they become 
more and more people and less and less their stereotype. It's the first time that we've seen it where the entire show has centered around geeks and geek culture. I mean, while making some notes for this topic, I just started making a list of people who I thought positively represented geek culture in various TV shows, movies, and mediums. And there have been a few out there that I think have have shown that they are not just the sum of their hobbies and shown themselves to be real people. If I may just read a couple that I think would fit along with that. I've got uh, the character of Willow from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Obviously the gamers. Anything that Felicia Day plays in, pretty much. Yes. Ben Wyatt from Parks and Rec. Here's a guy who makes his own fantasy board game. I will never have a geek out as big as the one he did from the episode where his girlfriend slash, or I think she's his wife by then, gives him a replica of the throne from Game of Thrones. Even uh, the character JD from Scrubs, he was a, a firm geek, loved Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, played D&D in college. Uh, did you guys ever watch the TV show Warehouse 13? I love oh, Warehouse yeah. 13. That was I'm one actually of... watching it right now, in fact. Uh, side note. Maybe shoot me a link later. I cannot find where to watch the final season of it. Hmm. What were you watching it on? Um, I'm watching it through Amazon on um, the IMDb free play. I haven't looked to see if the final season is on there. I'll be disappointed if it's not. It used to be on Netflix ages ago, but I don't know if it included the final season. It didn't. I mean, my wife. Yeah, that's what made my wife us went, really mad. Yeah, my wife went through that that entire show so fast I could not keep up. <laughs> It was kind of the opposite of Eureka, which had the last two seasons, but none of the ones before that for a while on Netflix. Weird. Okay, it looks like Amazon Prime has got five seasons of it. I think they're free to watch. I'll have to delve into more of that later. But Yeah, there's a, there's a commercial halfway through, but they're free to watch. Okay, cool. Because we were watching them. This is back when we had cable. We were trying to watch them on the Sci-Fi Channel as they would come out. But because of work and life and other stuff, we ended up trying to watch them online through Sci-Fi Channel's website. Oh, right. And they didn't have the most recent stuff on the website. Exactly. And we tried to watch it through other mediums, and we weren't able to finish it. That really bothers me. (laughs) Especially because, like you said, this show was so good. And to be denied the final season, yeah, it was hard. But anyway, moving on. There are several characters within Warehouse 13 which positively portray geeks. And they didn't need entire seasons to get there. But then again, uh, this is what happens when you have them written as people from the get-go and not as uh, not just as a caricature. Like, I think the most caricature insider job that there is is with Felicia Day's representation of geeks in the Guild. I mean, clearly these are exaggerations of people that we've known. It's the most caricature it gets, but still while feeling like an insider job. Yeah. I wanted to bring up one more uh, positive example of, it's actually both positive and negative, was the show Chuck, which I know we've discussed in the past. Chuck very much glorifies the nerd. Uh, Chuck Bartowski, he's a geek, but he's also good looking, reasonably athletic, and he's a super spy. On the other hand, the rest of the nerd herd crew that he works with portray that socially awkward, greasy-haired, smelly geek. But Chuck himself shows us that 
being interested in comic books and science fiction and video games can be not just normal, but actually kind of cool. So plus and minus to Chuck, but I think it's it's an example of an artifact of this this culture where we're we're starting to to see nerdiness and geekiness and the fandom as something that's positive. All right, let's take that, seize it, and just move right on into and the geek shall inherit the earth. Uh, <laughs> because we do see media now that relies on an understanding of geek culture for various aspects of you know, there's so many facets to to this thing that we lump together as as geek pop culture. But these forms of media rely on that as a baseline understanding for interacting with the show, or at least give extra rewards for having an understanding of these while you interact with the show. Easy examples for me are Steven Universe, Phineas and Ferb. I miss the fact that we don't have that on Saturday morning cartoons anymore. You guys could probably come up with a hundred where the things that we look, oh, Stranger Things, the mm-hmm. introduction of that show starts at the D&D table. It comes out of our baseline understanding. I mean, we are the influencers now in some respects. Well, there was an idea that cropped up somewhere in the 90s that you're bullying me now, but someday I'm going to be your boss. And we're seeing that prophecy, you know, come true pretty yeah. much. Because all the people who were in the late 70s, 80s, early 90s, who were sitting around with their buddies and uh, playing D&D or NES and similar geeky hobbies, these are the guys who are now our age, who are entering into management positions, upper areas of responsibility, and they're the ones who are deciding what movies we're going to make, what technologies are being developed, and even more. And in large part, they're the ones who had been developing the technical skills to put them in a position Mm -hmm. to be inventing the future. Mm -hmm. You know, the stereotype that can be put along with the geeks and the nerds is that they're the guys who are doing all the technology stuff, all the all the computer sciencey stuff. Yeah, well, now computer science is everywhere. It's more widespread across the entire world than it has ever been before. I'm sitting in a radio network studio, but I have one, two three, four computers in this room with me. One of them is my own. I have a cell phone, which is a small computer, smarter than most computers that have come out in the past few decades, and a smaller computer, which can hold several thousand books. And he's not even aware of the chip that Brian and I put in his brain. And when we turn that on, (laughs) it's going to get amazing. Oh, no, no. I'm very aware of it. Every time I sneeze, I get Tidy Bowl commercials from the 70s. <laughs> Pretty sure you did that on purpose. <laughs> I, I told you we no were going to have problems the first time you went through a courthouse. <laughs> yeah, have you two ever been handcuffed? I have. Yeah, it's when we're not doing the malware patches that you need to be worried about. Yeah. That little wand you know, went over my body just fine, came over my head, woo! And I said, oh, those jerks. <laughs> you were able to you- uh, say that even through the seizure? I'm impressed. Well, you guys are going to get some weird readings now because this past week, I didn't include this on my geek app because it's not geeky, but I have just been recently diagnosed with sleep apnea, and I am now on a CPAP machine. That is no fun. Eh, You know what? It's fine. Do I have to wear a mask when I sleep now? Yeah. Both Joy and I are on a mission to lose weight, 
And I've been told that even losing as little as 20 pounds can make you go off of a mm-hmm. CPAP. My dad's been on one for 23 years. And if I have to wear one for right now just to make it feel like I've slept through the night and to wake up without waking up to a migraine two times a week, I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I, I started this past Wednesday night, and lately I've been waking up actually feeling like I slept. So I'll get used to the machine. I'll get used to the mask. It's worth it. And every morning your wife can say, James, rise. <laughs> I look like the most white toast, white boy, vanilla Darth Vader in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if Darth Vader had been made into a 1993 NBC Friday night sitcom along with Full House... That would be the Darth Vader that I am. <laughs> Whenever I enter a room, there's a clap track. Woo! Yeah! Woo! <laughs> and Luke and Leia would have a cool Uncle Jesse who would show me up every week. <laughs> oh, speaking of caricatures. Yeah. <laughs> Wearing khaki pants and a, and a button-up long-sleeve shirt. Didn't you just describe Dark Helmet? If I could get Rick Moranis on this project, oh. it might have legs. <laughs> so... Pull it on back to the subject at hand. I, just a basic question. Do you guys have any shows that you see that will drop geek culture references uh, that you know that are put there just for you uh, that you've really gotten a kick out of? Absolutely. Now I have to try to think of them. Probably, but I, yeah, I don't. nothing comes to mind like right off the top of my head. Have you guys even seen Phineas and Ferb? I've seen a couple no. of episodes. I tried to get my daughter into it because I was really enjoying it, but she was just so-so. Yeah, my kids got me hooked on this. At first, I thought, oh, that's a cute Nickelodeon show. I'll watch it because I should be aware of what media that they're they're watching. And, oh, my gosh, this is hilarious. Like, <laughs> they use a shtick on some Halloween episode where their platypus has has turned vicious and it multiplies as soon as you drop grape juice on it, which, you know, of course, <laughs> Gremlins reference. And as this grape juice vicious platypus is multiplying one of the characters turns to the others and say i say we take off and nuke the entire site from orbit it's the only way to be sure (laughs) like yes none of the kids get that but i mean the rest of us know that she's quoting right but the rest of us know she's quoting sigourney weaver so i was watching some most of the tv shows that we watch these days are kid shows children oriented because we have a pair of two-year-olds and a and a six-year-old but we were watching one, and someone was bringing up, hey, you know, do you want to wear a mustache? What do you want to wear a mustache for? He's like, well, you wear a mustache if you want to look dapper or like a 1980s private eye from Hawaii. And I'm like, oh did, my gosh. did they just drop a Magnum P.I. reference in a kid's show? <laughs> I don't even know what happened next because I was just flabbergasted. I'm like, there's no, yeah. there's no one but parents my age are going to get that reference. I mean, I feel like we've done that with a, with a few shows where – Kaja and I will just start busting up laughing, and the kids will say, "What? What are? You, what was funny? What did they say?" But you know, and then while we're still trying to catch our breath, they're backing it up and listening to it. They're like, "I don't see why that was so funny." I'm like, "Well, why don't you go back to the 1980s <laughs> yeah. and and you'll understand." Uh, okay, have either one of you two watched the Netflix series "Ask the Storybots"? No, no I watched an episode of that one. Okay, all three of my kids love it. My two-year-olds especially. It is children's programming aimed toward younger kids. It's the best kids show I've ever watched. <laughs> Each week, it's like uh, kids write in and ask the story about these little robots a question. 
there's one episode where a kid had asked them, where does rain come from? I'm like, oh, that's a good one. They try to find water, and then they, a water vapor takes them up in the sky to a, to a cloud. On top of a cloud is a water theme park where they wait to become heavy enough to fall to the earth. First off, you've both seen the movie Die Hard, right? Of course. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. As the water drops them, and they're in this big room, and then the floor just disappears. All the storybots are screaming. One water drop, goggles on, is slow-mo yelling, yippee ki Mother <laughs> Nature! Oh, no! <laughs> and wow. I'm, just, I'm sitting on my couch, a humongous smile on my face, in pure shock. I was already like, do we have to bleep the podcast? No, okay, no, we don't have that's perfectly in context. <laughs> Just, that's, yeah, that's great. I had to stop it. My kids were running, what daddy, what are you doing to rewatch? Just to make sure I had seen what I had actually seen. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the show is full of little call outs just for parents. All right. I think that's pretty concisely wrapped up. For, I mean, I, I don't think that we have any much more room to grow on this topic without repeating myself more than I already have. Um, <laughs> it seems that the center point from which we've branched our conversation about geeks and media has been the Big Bang Theory. And rightly so, because it's been one of the highest rated shows on TV for the past eight, nine years. How many seasons? have I know they just wrapped uh, up their series finale. but I'd, I think it was season 11. Are you kidding me? Okay. I was in 12. We stopped watching after about season five or six. I mean, was there anything more that we wanted to say about it in particular? No. I mean, I would hit, you know, when are they just pandering to us? But I don't think that we've hit the geek pandering yet. So without that present, I think that we can... Anything snappy we want to say to to wrap that up? I already said yippee-ki-yay, Mother Nature. Yeah. (laughs) I'll be honest, even though it comes from a children's show, we get the reference, Mike, should I include this in the podcast? (laughs) Now second-guessing myself. You know, if they can say it on a children's show about little robots on Netflix, I I can say it on this. Because anybody who knows what you're talking about knows what you're talking about. Anybody who doesn't know, doesn't know. Just like they used to say at the Ren Fair. And the first rule of Tautology Club is the first rule of Tautology Club. (laughs) (laughs) What was it that Ember used to say? If you want to say anything untoward, it has to be innuendo and out the other. (laughs) (laughs) I am still proud of her for that one. That was just about one of the best things she ever said. Oh, my gosh. Okay. um, Well, Mike, unless we had anything else we wanted to say on the subject of geek portrayal in media going once going twice then let's head to the zombie apocalypse plan of the week uh for the last several months we've been focusing primarily about perimeter defense and home defense but as we all know the zombie apocalypse could strike at any time when the balance gets tipped into an emergency no matter where you're at and so today we really need to focus on what do you do if you are stuck in the office when the apocalypse goes critical. And my advice this time is to make your way to the mailroom. Definitely the mailroom. The paper cutter there it just quickly unbolts to having a makeshift machete. And also easily detachable with a screwdriver is most file cabinet fronts. 
And there you have yourself a ready-made buckler and a weapon to go and start to hack and slash your way to freedom. If that doesn't work, then throw spare pieces of paper from the copier at them or envelopes because everyone, and I mean everyone, even zombies, hates paper cuts. Yeah, I decided to go with this one because my first choice was really gross. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, gentlemen, I think that will wrap it up for us. Make sure to check us out online at geekatarms.com, at facebook.com slash geekatarms. And Mike, what's our Twitter handle? It is at armsgeek because we are so ripped, we spend a lot of time sewing each other back together. (laughs) (laughs) Also, make sure you check us out on the iTunes podcast app and on the Google Play Store. Subscribe, maybe even leave us a review. Actually, please leave us a review. It lets us know how we're doing, and it helps other listeners find us as well. So, from From Brian, Mike, and James, be safe, be blessed, and be geeky. Thanks for listening to Geek at Arms. Music for this podcast was provided by Incompetech.com. For more, check us out at facebook.com forward slash geek at arms. Give us a like and maybe even subscribe to us on iTunes. That would be awesome. No, seriously, somebody at one point offered to set me up in biotech in Texas. They're like, you don't have any biotech experience, but I can tell talking to you and seeing the way that you jump in on our conversations that you've got a head to learn whatever I stick you into. Now, I've got some friends, and we can put you there, and I wound up passing because I wanted to stay at the church in Cambridge. Okay. <sighs> Try to help a guy out. I know, and we're just And the opportunity so to make cyborgs just didn't do it for you? Now that you put it that way, I'm really regretting my choices. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what else could biotech be? It's that cyborgs, right? Well, it's biotech in Texas, so it's probably cybernetic cows. And horses. And horses. And the Lone Star? Yes. Oh, oh, oh yes. <laughs> oh, dude, I could be riding a cyborg horse named 3030 right now. Seriously, Mike, I blame you. Yeah. <laughs> we should have started recording. Reason. This is a good conversation. Oh, we've been yeah. recording. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs>